Welcome everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built. And we are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere we find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, the Longhorn Republic, where we do all of our post-game live streams. There will be one following Saturday's matchup against the Iowa State Cyclones, and you will love what we have to say, hopefully. If it's either way, we'll have something to say about it. Uh, and again, your last warning from the podcast itself, if you have not entered to win your free signed copy of the Sam Acho uh, Let the World See You book, you can find it pinned to the top of our Twitter, how you can enter, retweet that tweet, like that tweet, uh, share it on the Facebook page, do it all. We, want, we just want to give you a free book. We want to give you a free book, so do it. We, that's all we want to do, and that book will will touch you and meet you in a place. Uh, so we will be announcing the winners uh, on Tuesday as part of our Tuesday show, and then we'll obviously tweet about it later. But again, we'll be picking the winner uh, basically three days from now. So if you haven't entered, you here's your 72-hour warning. Please do it. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's just going to preview Kansas because he's mad that show got lost, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? You know, I'm feeling real confident this week about uh, Longhorns' chances against the team from Kansas. Um, no, you know, one Midwestern opponent is the same as the next, Gerald. It's all the same. Basically the same preview, Kansas or Iowa State. It's it's all the same. It's all it's all farms, right? Farms, corn, <laughs> tractors, other farm terminology. Uh, Silos? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Farmageddon was last week. Iowa State, Kansas State. We'll talk about it. They acknowledge their farm background. They're proud of it. I have nothing against farmers. Um, you know, surprisingly, those two states were not. I did some research in the top five whitest states, but they're not far off of it. Uh, the cities that these all three of our Texas remaining schedules find themselves in, however, are uh, incredibly of the Caucasian persuasion. That's fine. That doesn't mean anything. These are just stats. This is the research that we do for this podcast to give context. Um, and also uh, why you should read the Texas pregamer because I finally get a chance. I don't know why I've waited to do this, but to use white people taco night, one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite jingles. If you don't know that song again, look out for the Texas pregamer and uh, and white people taco night, which is which is great. Now, uh, but back to the nature at hand. Now, before people get all weird in our mentions or in our reviews, Kyle is is white. Is yeah, painfully white. That's yeah, I'm I'm the whitest I'm the whitest guy you'll ever meet. Uh, so my wife tells me that all the time. Don't worry about it. Um, white people taco night is funny for white people. It's a great song. I mean, Taco Tuesday. We all know it. Actually, side note. So my one of my nieces, uh, the youngest of, of uh, my brother in law's three children, um, it, it's been saying her first words, and it wasn't her very first word, but her first phrase, Gerald. String of words meant to go together in succession. Taco Tuesday. That's impressive. Taco. It's one of the most adorable things you will ever see in your entire life as a small child uh, say, Taco Tuesday. Um, but that's, again, not especially relevant to this here podcast. But, uh, you know, tweet at me. Maybe I can uh, maybe I can I can DM it uh, back to y'all if y'all really are crying out to see it for our millions of followers. But uh, um, yeah, big Midwest, Big 12. It's all the same. So on the subject of, of first words, and this is really why pe- people don't care about the football stuff. They care about our random anecdotes. Um, my One of my son's first words, not his first word, one of his first words was boat. Uh, 
but he didn't pronounce it right. And so he came home from, from daycare with a note that said, it sounds like Trip is saying but, but he's actually saying boat. <laughs> it was the note we got from daycare. And it was one of the greatest moments of my entire life. But we're not here to talk about kids or weird things that they say, even though it'll probably come up again at some point. Or the Baylor-Texas Tech game, the B-U-T-T game. Um, right. No, we're, we're, we're here to talk about Texas. So, Texas has probably its last legitimate matchup of the season out based on what Kansas State has put on the field and based on who Kansas continues to be year in and year out, except for, well, te- Kansas seems to play up for Texas, especially when they're trying to put a coach in the grave. But that's a whole other conversation. Iowa State is on the schedule. Kyle. It opened as a pick and, and the line quickly moved, I think, that same day to Texas uh, by two points, which is basically still a pick Texas is going to be on an unexpected extra bye week, 20 days of rest, potentially rusty, hopefully rested. Iowa State looking at a short week that a Saturday, uh, a Saturday afternoon game, and then they're going to have to dust it off after Thanksgiving and play on Friday. But again, that Kansas State game wasn't very competitive. Um, Iowa State, we say this a lot. In the, in the conference, Iowa State is a, a tough team um, because they've looked pretty balanced this year. Now, granted, they've played OU, they beat OU, but they haven't played Texas yet at the other, who's who's presumably one of the other tough teams, talented teams in the conference. Um, we'll start, I think we'll, we'll start with the, the Iowa State offense. I think that's where we, where we have to start with this one. And, and really with running back, uh, Brees Hall, who is... When you look at the statistics, it's weird because like, if you look at like yards per game, there are people that are at the top of the yards per game ranking that have played like two games where Brees Hall has played eight games. And so he he's in the, the top spot in total yards because, well, he's played a bunch of games, number two in touchdowns. And again, he's technically number five in yards per game. But the four people above him have played at most four games. So he's really number one in yards per game. Um, a volume running back 22 and a half carries per game for Brees Hall. If you've got the beach, you might as well feed him. So that Iowa state offense really runs through Brees Hall. They're efficient. Uh, they average 34 points per game, 2.9 points per drive where that threshold that you want to keep, uh, be above is like two, two and a half. So they're well above that. This is a, this is a team that Again, I don't – they probably haven't played the – I'm, I'm going to say, like, Texas is one of the top three defenses in the conference, so I'm curious to see uh, what Brees Hall can do against this Texas run defense, which has been really impressive over the last, I don't know, several games. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree completely with it, right? There's some interesting matchups to watch here. Brees Hall, obviously – is a very good running back, but Texas has seen a kind of interesting schism in their schedule. And if they would have played against Kansas and Ed Puka Williams, it would have been basically multiple consecutive games of an offense, even in the big 12 that used the run to establish their identity. Right. And so you, Gerald, you've said it before you said it on this podcast that Oklahoma state was kind of the playbook for, for how, and they're not the exact same offense. There's certainly some differences. They certainly don't have the talent at Iowa state at receiver that you have in Tylen Wallace. Um, I, their offensive line has been healthier than Oklahoma states was and i don't think you know even though purdy can move he's anywhere near the mobile threat that spencer sanders again at his best um can be um so they're different right but the playbook of shutting down a team that wants to run their star running back or just in the running game in general because you know iowa state has a pretty decent backup running back as well but you know wants to run the ball 25 to 30 times a, a game and really uh their defense is predicated on that um you know 
being off the field and letting them establish some drives. Uh, their, you know, their offense, they utilize the lack of just dynamic five-star athletes by building these pretty good schemes, decent, you know, line, not, not tremendous, but solid line and, and, and breeze, uh, hall is, is legitimately, you know, really good, right? Like you, you know, give give Iowa State fans a little bit of um a little bit of credit. I think they you know we we thought they were crazy saying that replacing the running backs and David Montgomery and some they've had in the past were you know the Brees Hall could be as good. Um he he has been. He has been, you know, probably the best running back in in the Big 12 certainly um has that accolade and and probably, you know, a top two or three running back in the country so far this year. Um but like you said, I will be curious if Texas, which has shown a propensity, they took West Virginia, which had one of the best running backs in, in the conference and in the country, and, and negated that. They took Oklahoma State when Chuba Hubbard and, and L.D. Brown basically had, you know, the, the most scary running attack in the country and a, a, a mobile quarterback and effectively, you know, mitigated that. So Texas has shown a propensity. The pro football focus grades aren't everything, but their defensive line, they're the only team in the Big 12 and one of the only teams in the country with four different players over an 80 uh, score on the season in run defense. Texas knows how to stop the run. Their big defensive line unit that we've talked about so much this season is built for this. They're also built for getting after the quarterback a little bit. We've seen that pick up, but they're built for shutting down a team that wants to use the run to establish the play action to help their quarterback so that their quarterback uh, doesn't have to throw 50 times a game. Think of a Texas Tech, which is probably the opposite philosophy. And you saw Texas struggle again. That was early. The defense has evolved, but it does seem like they are particularly built. You think to Utah last year, you think to some of the best games you've seen from this defense in the past year and a half. And it's against these teams with this type of offensive identity. So there is some reason uh, for hope here. I think the game plan for Iowa State was test run against Oklahoma State. And I, and I don't think the quarterbacks are the same quarterback or caliber of quarterback. And I honestly don't know what caliber of quarterback either of these quarterbacks truly is. But I think the, the defensive, at least from stopping the run standpoint, was tested against against Oklahoma State and, and Chuba Hubbard has not been the same Chuba Hubbard that he was a year ago, but you know, I think he still has that same explosiveness and I think Iowa State's offensive line is not I don't think they're good, but they're definitely better than what Oklahoma State was able to trot out there with, you know, all the guys that were dismissed from the team and opted out and injuries and all that. But, you know, I that's that's the matchup, right? And we talk about Texas possibly being rusty, like I mentioned in the intro, but Snacks Coburn was injured in Texas's last game. And so giving that man an extra week of, of time off and, and a game without extra wear and tear on his body coming in to really close up the middle, hopefully, of that that Iowa State run game is going to be big, right? Like, if if there's one thing that, that Texas has excelled at for most of the year, even when the defense was struggling, it was forcing runners to the outside where Texas can match up everybody uh, speed for speed, right? I don't think there's a team in, in the conferences, maybe outside of OU, that's faster than Texas in that spot. And so that, that to me, is going to be the differentiator for Texas. If, if Texas is going to be successful against Brees Hall, they're going to run the same scheme that they did against Oklahoma State, and they're going to really clog up those lanes force the running backs to try to create something on the edges and then just out athlete them at the edges, which I think, again, I think this is a strong think uh, that Texas has the ability to do. Look, what, what, what I would like to see is Texas cornerbacks win against the Iowa state receivers. Again, this, this should be a, a unit that, that is good. I, I don't think they're, they're elite. Um, they, like, if you only watch them against 
Kansas State, then you might think that they have a team full of utterly uh, elite receivers. And, and maybe they do. Maybe they've been saving it up. But, you know, um, their their top receiver, Xavier Hutchinson, um, has some good numbers on the season. But he had 111 yards and a touchdown against Kansas State, 87 yards and a touchdown against KU. Those have by, by far been his biggest games, nine catches for 77 against Texas Tech. He's kind of beat up. He's bullied weaker opponents. I won't I won't in any way discredit Charlie Kohler, their tight end, who is very, very good, um, their second leading receiver. But after that, the drop-off is so unbelievable. Their next uh, leading receiver has 14 catches for 216 yards. Um, you know, uh, their next receiver, next two receivers after that are tight ends. So, um, you know, they, they don't aren't going to have a lot of dynamic, um, a lot of dynamic trouble uh, for that. Like, think about what you know. Uh, OU has done in years past. Think about what Tylen Wallace uh, did basically to this defense. I don't know that there is that player. Obviously, Xavier Hutchinson, 41 catches, 519, uh, 518 and four touchdowns is, is the, the top threat. And he's a big receiver uh, who, can, who can do some things in the end zone. We saw that against Kansas State. Again, a different level of competition. But uh, I if the defensive backs can win against the receivers, and the, the key that I'm watching is our spur position that kind of has been cooking out of Mora. Um, if they can match up well uh, against slot receivers or really probably tight ends, any of the tight ends, whether it's Chase Allen or Charlie Kohler, these are, these are big body guys who, who know how to, you know, get their hands on a ball. Um, if they can do well there as well as give their responsibilities in the run game, because that's, that to me is going to be the conflict point is if those guys are selling out to stop the run, then you potentially have, a mismatch where these tight ends, you know, have a smaller guy on them in single coverage, um, and, and it's trouble. You saw OU really just get destroyed with that exact uh, formula, right? Yeah, a big tight end just just feasted all over, and in that point, it was Kohler, um, and I believe over over uh, Mr. Radley Hiles. I, I want to believe that because I dislike him greatly, but um, you know, if if that matchup can go in Texas's favor, then I I think you know this defense can really shine and, and shut down what Iowa State wants to do. If they force Brock Purdy to have to be the man, then I don't necessarily know if, they, if that's a winning prospect for them in the passing game. Like, they do have passing targets. They do have passing threats, right? Kohler is going to be, outside of the three guys in the Texas locker room, probably one of the biggest passing targets in the conference. So, um, oh, yeah. but, but in the two games that Iowa State has lost – it's when Brock Purdy has struggled. And so if Texas can shut down Brees Hall, which again, big if, biggest biggest if we've said all year, right, is if Texas can shut down Brees Hall, if Texas can keep that man from scoring multiple touchdowns, because here's a differentiator stat that I was talking, I was going to say for later in the show, but it just happened to come up. The two losses were when Brees Hall only was able to manage one rushing touchdown. Mm. So keeping that man off the scoreboard multiple times is is a is a KPI to use that corporate term, right? Key performance indicator for Iowa State because then that means that they've got to get it done through the passing game. And Brock Purdy has played okay this year, but he's not a world beater. He he's a good quarterback. He's a he's he's a really good quarterback, right? Because the Big Twelve is a quarterback conference, and so even the second worst quarterback in the Big Twelve, which is not Brock Purdy, but somebody else uh, is better than a lot of the quarterbacks in a lot of the other conferences. But I don't think that that Brock Purdy is is the guy that can beat you without getting a, an equal dosage from Brees Hall. And so, again, 
if they put it on the arm of Brock Purdy, I think that pendulum swings way in the favor of Texas. It makes things look really good if Brock Purdy throws 40 times in this football game, even if he throws 35 times, right? He's only thrown uh, 35 times in, in a game twice this season. He did it against uh, Ulala, against the University of Louisiana in the opening loss where he completed you know, on the wrong side of 50%. Uh, and he did it in a win against Texas Tech because, again, Texas Tech, just, just there's something about him, that real punchable face. You know, you just want your quarterback to just keep throwing bombs. And they, they do a good job of letting you do it pretty well. Uh, if you remember, Sam Ellinger got lots and lots of yards against Texas Tech as well. But, I mean, I, I think if, if you look at a lot of his games, he, he had a good game, you know, against Kansas State. They weren't a great team. Baylor, we said, look, they're, they're a defensive unit. Their offense is, is a bit, you know, putrid, but they almost beat them if their offense could have stepped up. Um, they, 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 even in a win, forced Purdy into some not great numbers, 164 yards, um, three interceptions, right? That's that's a key uh, stat as well. Even against Kansas, he, he, he had an interception uh, in that Oklahoma State loss, uh, you know, around 50% passing, 162 yards, had an interception, uh, got sacked a couple times in that one as well. TCU was able to sack him, but was not able to get his completion percentage down to where you'd like it. So, I mean, against even against OU, where they were able to pull out that victory, um, he was only 50% passing. So, the narrative about Brock Purdy that he's this accurate passer who can, you know, drop back. And I think before the season, we thought, you know, he's a 35 uh, pass a game quarterback. He's going to give you 280 every week, be a game manager, do those things. He can move a little with his feet. He's, he's a good quarterback. Again, COVID's a weird year. You haven't necessarily seen that level of consistency from Purdy. You've seen that level of consistency from the running game. So the narrative, like we talked about, is force them, right? What, what did we talk about against Oklahoma State, right? If you look at that as a box score game and you only view that, it's easy to kind of miss the point of what Texas did as a beautiful renaissance defensive coordinator role. Again, innovation in defense happens in this conference. Gerald talked about it on our last podcast. But um, against that that team they were able to bully ball they were able to take something away from oklahoma state they said you can't have that you could do the other things but we are dictating what you do and it's not this they took away the running game if texas is able to do that to any effect again and make this a brock purdy has to throw it outside to his receivers take away the running game and even you know try to cover up the 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 slot tight end uh weapons that they like to use um i like that chance. I, I Again, Brock Purdy's a good quarterback. Brock Purdy could be a Sunday quarterback, right? If the best version of him shows up. So it is a, a risk you take. But I think the thing that Iowa State wants to do is be a consistent team running the ball. They do not want to be a 35 to 40 passes from Brock Purdy. And especially once you get that first interception on him and he gets a little bit rattled, um, if you get some pressure and you're able to get the jersey dirty, um, then I, I do think that, that you know Texas defense can really start to tee off a bit. Uh, if you can put them in, in a predictable because they just don't have the athletes and the talent that some of the top tier the other top tier where they they are right Iowa State is in that category but where the other top tier programs OU Oklahoma State Texas um you know are going to sit talent wise sorry like even even in the game against Oklahoma State where even in the game against Baylor, where they managed to eke out a win, like Purdy was not great, and it was their their closest non loss of the year, right? It was the closest right. victory of the year. It's a thirty eight thirty one thing. Purdy threw three picks, right? And Baylor's yeah. trash. Like let's just be really honest with you. So like, <laughs> yeah. I I'm I like 
and transitive property is impossible this year because football is so weird and COVID and like, you know, the, the dumbest thing in the world was this last Saturday where it was like, how did this Kansas state team beat OU? Well, OU had three guys sitting out because of pot and Kansas state had like 63 guys sitting out because of COVID. So like not the same team in any way, shape or form. So yeah, like both tra- of those were opposite, right? The yeah. Kansas state 63 out was this week, right? The, yeah. That was this game. Not, not when they, not the OU, OU game. They were full strength yeah, yeah. against OU. Yeah. And with they had, their quarterback, right? They have, since their quarterback went out, if you have been watching one single thing about a team in the Big 12, it's it's the two different quarterbacks for Kansas State. When they brought in a true freshman, it has been night and day, yep. and basically the wheels have fallen off. Absolutely. So, um, so that that to me is the that to me is the thing is like there's no real transitive property to make a comparison to, but of of like opponents, like when you look at. Again, let's say Baylor, right? Baylor was able to do something against them and force Brock Purdy to be bad Brock Purdy, right? And if you get bad Brock Purdy, then things are going to struggle. And, and um, you know, one of their players, I think it was Brees Hall actually tweeted that maybe maybe Brocktober is Spanish for uh, November, right? But, like, he was trash against Baylor in November. So, like, there you get you got one really good game from him. So, I, I just don't, I don't know what to make of this Iowa State offense outside of Brees Hall. Right, like Brees Hall, I would say is is easily the best running back in the conference, uh, and probably one of the best running back. He's probably one of the top three running backs in the country, and he's probably not two or three. Is how I'll say it. Um, so, like, there's it's hard for me to to predict what they're going to do because it's a guy like that. You hope we and we said it. You know, it's funny we said it last year when Chuba Hubbard was going nuts. It's like you can't really contain that kind of guy. You can't really stop that guy, and then Texas managed to stop him. So, like, I. I just want to see what Texas can do if they can, again, if they can do what they did against Oklahoma state, if they can at least even limit, uh, limit Brees hall and make Brock Purdy be the, be the winner. That's Texas may not win it, but I, that's a matchup that I take. The other thing that goes with that is the, is the line play, right? Is, can they get to that running back? Can they push players back? Can Coburn be healthy enough to be, um, pushing that point of attack back into the backfield uh, and, and disrupting what Hall wants to do. Can Ojomo, uh, Ojomo continue to to get pressure? Can Joseph Osai continue to be potentially, you know, the Big 12 lineman of the year or or defender of the year candidate um, that he's looked in, in most of the games, if not all the games this season? Can those things continue? And if Texas wins the line play on the defensive side, I think they win this game. I think that's absolutely absolutely fair and, and i'm interested to see what the what the trenches look like i'm always watching the trenches but this saturday will be a particularly close eye so moving on to the defense this is another um another run for texas where again much like west virginia in oklahoma state they're facing a, a a team that likes to create havoc in the backfield iowa state has uh between his two defensive ends two starting defensive ends jaquan bailey and will mcdonald 12 and a half sacks between the two of them uh, as a defense overall they're giving up um just 23.38 points per game granted that's average is floated by a goose egg pitched by kansas so again kansas always floats your average just a little bit uh they're giving up a whopping um, 338 or 333, excuse me, yards per game and 1.59 points per drive, which is again my favorite stat because like it gives you that like cutoff point of two two points per drive, right? Which they're well underneath, but again, average floated by a goose egg against Kansas, who had a ton of possessions. So they've got talent, but they've they've played against Oklahoma state. That's struggling against the offensive line. They played against OU early. That was still trying to figure out things against the O line in the 
conventional wisdom says that when Lincoln Riley talked about a group early in the season that was struggling with COVID issues, that it was OU's offensive line. And shocker, they lost in week three to Iowa State. So like there is, there's a lot to be said about what is this team now versus what were they and, and who are they facing now that the season is on the line? So that, that to me is the thing that's going to, that I'm going to have to keep track of is like, can Texas, can this Texas offensive line that has really struggled on the edges contain Jaquan Bailey and Will McDonald? Like that to me, again, the, the, I think this game's going to be one in the trenches and it, it, it serves the, the defense, the Iowa State defense against the Texas offense as well. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think defensive line is where you wanna where you wanna watch, guys. If if for both sides of the ball, watch the offensive line versus the defensive line, like Gerald said. Um, I, I mean, I think you, you you look at Jaquan Bailey, right? And in just a player we knew, I think he was preseason All Big Twelve. He's a player we knew was good from years previous. Um, he he is had a good season. There's no doubt about it. Six sacks is a very good season. Um, but he, he's a guy who's 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 feasted a little bit again on the smaller teams to, to keep bringing up that narrative his sacks have come one against Kansas State one and a half uh, against Kansas and by the way guys this team um, isn't good you wouldn't know it when they played us but TCU not good he had three and a half sacks uh, in that game and those are the only sacks he's had on the season again Jaquan Bailey is a good player please don't mishear me he's a very very good player but it's a it's a, it's probably just a tinge misleading to think they have these pin their their ears back monsters um you know on the ends because uh, you know against Baylor those two ends had zero sacks against Kansas State they had two right a difference there against um Tech I think they had one combined sack between the two of them against Kansas they had almost three two and a half I believe so it's like they they have they have bully balled a bit and, and good for them to to some weaker teams um but let's hope that Texas, you know, I think against West Virginia in that incredible defensive line there, I saw something in Texas's O line that seemed to have changed. Something, something clicked. We haven't seen them play in 20 days, right? We we don't know. They could be rusty. They could have forgotten technique. <laughs> I don't know. Somehow they could have regressed. But um, I think that hopefully they are continuing to step forward. And that time off lets people heal and all of those things we talked about. Um, and, and they're going to continue to be good and 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 hopefully be able to mitigate uh, that because the biggest thing is is Texas needs to be able to establish both phases of the game and if you have defensive ends flying in your backfield Bijan can only you know even as good as he's looking lately make so many people miss um and Sam you know let's give Sam a clean pocket let's give him a chance to right the wrongs that have been the past couple weeks to to show that he the time off helped him um get his body 100% to show um that even without the Kansas kind of tune-up game that we were hoping to give him the mental confidence back to where he is Sam's not a guy I worry about his confidence I think the way we've seen him perform in fourth quarter shows you that alone that even if he's playing badly he thinks he can go out and win every game and 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 we talked about that as a freshman hey Sam don't don't try to make every play all the time that's a freshman mentality but he's always wanted to be a winner at every level in every game on every play and and you know I think senior Sam we finally you know reeled that into the right place now you know let's see if we can give him that clean pocket um, is he able to write some things, connect on some of the medium to long throws that he, especially outside the hashes that he hasn't uh, excelled at so far, get some of that chemistry again, 20 days of just working reps uh, with those receivers. Um, 
Iowa State has a very good defensive coordinator. They always have something good, um, you know, to play Texas. We've been able to, to come out on the, the better end in past um, meetings, but it's been close a lot. And uh, so there's nothing that should be taken for granted against a John Heacock um, defense, right? They, they, he's he's an innovator. He's, 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 he's very strong. Texas has struggled in the past running against that three safety front that he's put in the past few years. So can they break that, establish, you know, something of a run presence and get Sam healthy? And those are the questions you kind of have to focus on when watching this. I'm not healthy. I'm sorry. In rhythm, that's what you need to watch. Is is you know, and again, that goes back to the line. Give them a chance to do that, right? Yeah, and and I think you mentioned the the ground game, and and there are three games over a hundred yards that that Iowa State has given up defensively: Louisiana Lafayette, which was a loss; OU, which was a thirty-seven to thirty win, so one score win. And then they gave up 226 rushing yards against Oklahoma State in that loss, right? So when team, teams have touched them on the ground, and really the the better running backs in the conference at OU and Oklahoma State have done it pretty consistently, right? Now, again, 226 is absolutely bonkers. Like, there's no two ways around that. Like, 226 is stupid mm-hmm. dumb. Uh, but, again the simple fact that they've been, they've been touched up. And so that to me, like, can you get in with the offensive line? It's, it's not necessarily get getting Bijan 20 carries a game, right? If B I'm going to say this, if Bijan gets 20 carries a game, that's probably not a great thing. If Bijan gets 20 touches in a game, mm-hmm. that's, that's what I want to see. Like throw it to him on a screen, give him a, you know, hit him in a, an RPO situation, hit him in the flats. Get that guy in space because he's going to be one of the better athletes on the field. And so create running without having to run between the tackles sometimes is just as good as a ground game. Like creating what would be run plays, right? Like those, those white, those screen passes, those, those, um, it was kind of off tackles flats, right? Those things are, are, are basically run plays at this point. So creating space for him and getting him the opportunity to, to really try to grind is going to be important. And, and I think so Keontae still going to be questionable for Saturday. So kind of the guy who's your, your running back workhorse is probably not going to be available. So again, see if you can get Roshan, you know, 12 carries, see if you can get Bijan 20 touches. And again, I don't outside of Oklahoma state and OU, there's a lot of, there's a lot of talent that, that Iowa state hasn't really played. And so, like, to me, that is that is still the question. I think Iowa State's a very good football team, but I just don't know who they are because the, th- you know, the three best teams they've played, which I'm lumping Louisiana Lafayette into that because they're ranked at this point, right? Like, ooh-la-la, it, it handed them a handy L, 31-14, right? And then played OU tight. OU was still struggling, Um with uh, suspensions and Rattler was still trying to find his way. And it, I think if that game happens again today, Oh, you probably wins by two scores and then Oklahoma state just did it to him. So like that to me again is just such a big question mark. One of the matchups that I will also be watching. I talked about watching the, the Chris Adamora on defense versus, you know, uh, coming up against Brees Hall in the run versus and, and at the same time, keeping an eye on probably Charlie Kohler or one of their tight ends in the slot, right on defense. That's, that's a, a flashpoint for me on offense for Texas will be the matchup. Basically all of Texas's offensive weapons against linebacker, Mike Rose, right? He is a, he's, he's been a, a force of havoc this season. He's got, uh, eight and a half tackles for loss, 63 total tackles, um, and four 
interceptions. That's the big part. On this entire team, or in both of these rosters, there's only one player with more than one interception on both teams, and it happens to be a linebacker from Iowa State. So what that tells me is Texas is mess routes. Texas is underneath routes. They're third down quick slants. The Brennan Eagles kind of Sam looks to him on the 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 hitch or in routes uh, on conversion times. There's going to be a little extra look that Sam should be giving when going over the middle because a linebacker has proven to be Iowa State's biggest playmaker in every facet of the game on this defense. Of course, we talked about their ends that, that, that like to give pressure and, and hopefully make in their scheme a quarterback not have the second to extra identify a linebacker who's you know looking to jump routes. Um, but I think that's going to be key, right? Because Sam has done a lot of his work from from short passes, getting receivers chances to, to get upfield, um, whereas the long balls eluded him a bit. That's where he, he has found some success, short to medium or intermediate. But um, that will be a key matchup, right? Watching what, what linebacker Mike Rose is able to do and if if um, Sam is able to work that. The other the other stat that, that I thought was interesting. So on the season, we've, we've talked about it before. Texas has a lot of pass breakups. I mean, they have six interceptions. You'd like that number to be even higher. Some of these pass breakups are probably dropped interceptions, but they have almost 40 on the season, right? Iowa State has 22. So Iowa State isn't even jumping and in, in breaking up a lot of uh, a lot of plays, but the guys who are doing it for them uh, have been their underneath linebackers, you know, a lot. You talked about Jake Hummel a bit on uh, the notes who's leading the team in pass breakups again another linebacker um, and then their leading interceptor is a linebacker so they want to take away those intermediate crossing mesh underneath routes that's what they're able to jump and and so obviously we aren't the first ones to see this Texas offense knows that what does Yurshis have schemed up to put Sam in the best position again early especially with Russ and everything to get that rhythm get that streak get that confidence to feel good um what is he going to be running what looks is it like you said getting Bijan in space and letting him run and just feeling that offense open up and look a little free I would be very very curious how they come out early uh and attack that this will be a, an interesting case in seeing if Sam can has he's healed up or you know figured out whatever the heck was going on. Tom Herman refuses to say that Sam is injured at all, but if Sam has figured it out, whether it's mental healing or emotional healing or physical healing, uh, figured out what the heck is going on on these on these down the field passes, right? I think if if Texas can go vertical on this Iowa State team, I think Texas probably wins by a mile. I don't know if that happens, but especially with the pass rush and in, but I think that to me is the matchup that I'm going to watch, right? When, when you have a defense that's led by the linebackers, then you've got to go vertical and you've got to go kind of the deep, deep thirds of the field. And so Texas has not been good at that offensively this year. That's been Sam Ellinger's poorest, poorest performance as an, as a, um, I almost said offender. That's not the word I was going for. <laughs> Offensively, that's been his his poorest performance and his, his biggest area of struggle. So, like, if you can figure that out, if you can, and let's be honest with you, Sam has liked to look vertical on those mesh plays that you call mm. that, regardless of whether or not you need four yards and you've got two guys running wide open with six <laughs> yards in the middle of the field. That's a whole separate conversation, right? But I, I even think something like getting a guy like Jordan Whittington back creates a, creates an advantage for Texas because Whittington is very likely to be back. So that's mm-hmm. a guy that no matter how good your linebackers are, I'm taking Jordan Whittington probably seven times out of ten uh, in space. So that, that to me, is, can Texas – create space, right? I think Iowa State wants to play in a phone in a phone booth. 
Yes. For those of you that don't know what a phone booth is, it's a little box that you stand on street corners that you walk in. <laughs> it's big enough for one person, and you make a phone call. Uh, you need somewhere in the range of twenty-five to thirty-five cents, depending on how much you know what, what year it was. But Iowa State was playing in a phone booth. They want to play in a phone booth, and so getting people out in space, get taking away that advantage up between the tackles, right? And that's I think what Texas can do with some of the personnel they have. And so I'm curious to see what Yursich does. In the flats, to the field side, to when when you get outside of those tackles, what does he scheme up? Because a package of, again, Bijan in the backfield, you've got Smith, maybe Whittington, Brennan Eagles, like that grouping, and, and probably a tight end, hopefully Jared Wiley, but hashtag Wiley Hive, uh, like there that grouping <laughs> allows you to to kind of take away Iowa State's biggest defensive advantage. Yeah, for sure. And Gerald, just uh, what I want to sum up that for our listeners here, what you heard is the key uh, player to watch in this game from Gerald is uh, Bob Wiata Baby Eats a Boy. If you remember the uh, the, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the early two oh, thousand deep cut late late nineties commercial. Oh, it's Bob. They had a baby. It's a boy. That's Bob Wiata Baby Eats a Boy. Uh, back when you had uh, phone booths and and collect calling, um, you could cheat by by giving your message in the who's calling name. Anyways, for our younger listeners, you'll never get it. Don't even worry. For our older listeners, revel uh, in in some throwback uh, there. But I love that analogy of playing in a phone booth. I, I talk soccer a lot in reference in this podcast, but it's not a standard field size necessarily in in soccer. And so various teams that are like. Iowa State basically don't have the athletes, don't have the resources. Think Burnley, if you watch the English Premier League, will have a narrower soccer pitch so you don't have as much space for your, like, athletes to outrun them and it boxes things up a little and i think that's a perfect analogy um for what i think iowa state likes to and will they grow try. the grass longer at their home at their home games <laughs> absolutely uh by the way iowa state when when we play up there the most beautiful you know really grass field uh in the country one of the few left that's that's keeping to it but have to give credit where it's due it's a it's a pristine uh field of jack tries but luckily this one will be played in austin but that's a good point gerald this is the last game of the season played in Austin. This is senior night for a lot of players before they go to Kansas twice, which, you know, yuck. Um, but uh, <laughs> this is the last time here for a lot of those guys who choose to either go into the next level or graduate and not take the potential extra year of eligibility that will add a big question mark over the senior night and everything. But there are players who will play their last time at, at DKR. And you have to imagine with the time off, with the emotions of senior night, with a player like Sam Ellinger, who we've talked about him from a, you know, oh, he struggled at this, but he's been okay at this. Think about his legacy. And Herman talked about it in his presser this week. One of Texas' best quarterbacks. Let's not forget that. Let's not lose sight of that. A winner through and through, a guy who loves the 40 acres, who, who bleeds truly, utterly burnt orange as much as any player who's ever played at the university. Like, without a doubt, he feels it, embodies it, bleeds it. He loves UT so much. Don't you think that all of those players who fall in that category, the many seniors we have are players who it'll be their last game if they so choose to forego eligibility, have something to prove. And I think that um, will have a big impact in this game. I think even though they've had time off, there's going to be a lot of heart in this one, and they don't want to lose to Iowa State. They 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 want to – this is basically a, a championship game play-in, right? Think about it for the Big 12 championship – you have to Herman also said you have to win your first one before you can win all of them right and 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 they've done that up to this point with three in a row um they this is their biggest test everyone knows that this is effectively the battle of the two teams fighting to to take one of the spots away from the Oklahoma teams um as the four teams really left in the Big 12 uh playoff picture to Oklahoma Oklahoma State who you saw how that went last week um and then Texas and Iowa State so this this has enormous 
enormous implications. And and treating it like that bowl level of a game, Gerald, I'll tell you, my heart tells me that favors Herman. The statistics would also tell me that that favors Herman. Herman seven and one all time after a bye week or in a prep for when he has the bowl week time off to prep extended prep time, Kyle extended prep time. Correct. Is seven and one. So he likes that for some reason, his teams just play better and get up for those games. Now on inversely, uh, Wunderkind, Matt Campbell, he has gotten this team to a point where they're ranked, which is not something they're used to, but in his time there, when ranked, they played pretty good at home, as you saw against Kansas State. They moved up in the rankings to number 15. But when they're ranked and they don't play inside, again, the beautiful, pristine grass of Jack Trice Stadium, one in five all-time for Campbell as he comes to Austin to defend again. They they are the favorite um, from ranking standpoint, Texas here being the underdog uh, 15 versus 20 in that standpoint. So my heart tells me, and just the coach's history tells me, Horn's got it. So I guess with that, Kyle, it's time. It's time for us to do this thing that I hate, but we'll do it anyways. Um, in Pod's drama. So here's, here's what I'm going to do, Kyle. Um... I'm not going to count the Kansas predictions. Does that feel fair? We're not going to count the Kansas predictions um, because Obviously. the Kansas game didn't happen Can, yet. So, so um, we didn't we didn't miss our predictions. We didn't miss our predictions. What fair I was enough. Gonna, what I was going to say is that you missed on both of your predictions initially. I thought about this all weekend. Is that you you lost two points because you missed on both of your predictions, and I didn't miss. I just went. So my my score stayed static. Yours came down. But no, you are well well ahead. In the Podstradamus predictions, it's it's basically a million to, to none at this point. But it's totally fine. Uh, so what are your Podstradamus predictions? What are you predicting for Saturday? I started this week's podcast humbly and talking about, or in our Tuesday podcast, about how humble I am with myself. Last few times in this Podstradamus section, I have taken uh, a chance to to humbly toot my own horn at how good I've been at this. And, and I'm going to step back a little, Jared. I'm just going to go with one this week and a simple one. I'm going to keep it very simple. I'm going to allow you the chance to, to you know get a bigger bite. I'm cutting this pizza into thirds, and I'm giving you two thirds of it. I'm going to keep my little piece. It's going to be delicious, but it's going to be small. And I'm saying, you know... They call me the Breeze, right? We've all heard that song. Breeze Hall. I've said it. This team goes as Breeze goes. He's averaging almost 150 a game. He's also averaging a lot of touchdowns, 15 on the year. I'm going to go ahead and make a prediction on this very podcast that Breeze Hall uh, does not get does not get more than 115 So he's averaging close to 150. I'm going to cut it all the way to 115 on the ground and does not get more than one rushing touchdown. So 115 and one TD is the max. And I think there's a chance Texas, if they really play up to, to, you know, their potential can keep him well below that. So 115 and a TD or fewer for, uh, the breeze. Okay. That's fair. Um, that's true. Also, by the way, by the way, I, I, I can't go without saying this breeze hall, 1000%. Sounds like the oldest building on Iowa State's campus. We can all agree on that, right? Absolutely. I okay. feel like it's it's the it's the dorm that they make the freshmen stay in. Yeah, kinda like, it's kind of like the jester of Iowa State, right? They, Fair enough. I got to stay at Brees Hall for your first year, and then right. you kind of do it, you kind of do what you want to. Okay, uh, as long as we're so, in line. I, I one Kyle, I appreciate you giving yourself two chances to miss on 
one prediction, which <laughs> du- which doubles your chances of missing. I don't know if you know how that math works, right? I, I did. So, I did. So I, I, go, I, Gerald, I'm rooting for you. One, one sixteen and a touchdown, that's an L for you. I just want to point that out. I appreciate that. No, or so, 65 and two touchdowns is an L for me. Heck, if he goes if he goes zero, negative yardage and two touchdowns, he's still he can he can score all of the touchdowns and and, and he, we know how the math works. So my predictions, here are my Potsdamus predictions. So I'm gonna start defensively. I think defensively, Texas turns Iowa State over twice. I'm not gonna say which specific turnovers, but when when Texas beat and the one thing that the caveat that we have to put on Potsdamus, and I feel like we should have done this at the beginning, is generally these predictions are built around what Kyle and I think Texas needs to do to win the game. And mm. so, like when when Iowa State struggles, it's when when Iowa State turns the ball over multiple times. So um, again, in in the the worst games of the year, they've turned the ball over multiple times. So um, I think Texas turns Iowa State over multiple times twice I won't say whether it's you know fumbles interceptions it could be a you know, special teams turnover whatever it may be muffed punt will count as one as we do it I'm giving myself more ways uh, mm. to win this one so Texas turns Iowa State over twice I also think Bijan Robinson will score two touchdowns on Saturday Nice. I like that a lot. That's a bold I, one. I'm probably going to miss on it, but that's a bold one. But I like what you're saying with your caveat that what does Texas need to do to win? And it's let, let, let Bijan eat, you know, um, that's, I like that a lot. I like two touchdowns for Bijan being key to Texas getting a victory. So that's, I'm rooting for you in general in life, Gerald, but I'm especially rooting for that one. I guarantee you, I'm just going to go for a wash this week. It's going to be one and one, but it's totally fine. <laughs> All right, Gerald. So let's uh, let's take it now to a uh, section where we put on our burn orange lenses, look around the landscape of the Longhorn Republic with our uh, don't know what the actual RBG code is, but you know the one uh, official RBG code of the burn orange of the University of Texas. Uh, this week we're just gonna you know do as we do a lot of times and take a look um, at the NFL uh, Longhorns and how they're doing. What, I was going to talk Big Twelve conference game scenarios here, but effectively all you need to know on that is if Texas wins they have a good chance to to not miss out on a conference championship game because they just have to go to Kansas twice and beat the two Kansas teams, which again are, are right now playing like the two worst teams in the conference. Right. And, and that's no offense to Baylor who should, should be lower than Kansas state. But um, anyways, um, so if Texas wins, they're one of the two teams. If Texas loses, then it gets interesting for Oklahoma, Oklahoma state and Iowa state, because effectively Iowa state has the, has the driver's seat um, in to play, you know, one of, one of the teams, it's a good chance it's Iowa state and OU at that, but anything can happen. There's some more season, but again, I don't really want to get into the different particularities because really big 12 championship game scenarios, Texas wins and does it two more times after that. And they're in. So I'll, I'll hold that for a little while. Let's jump into uh, Longhorn alumni here, as we like to do, uh, and take a look. So uh, this week, the Ravens, as we open it up with usually the uh, East Coast Longhorn uh, finishing school, um, unfortunately suffered a loss to the Tennessee Titans in a, in a really good game, overtime walk-off uh, touchdown for the the Titans. My Ravens uh, couldn't quite get it going on the, on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, Lamar Jackson wasn't really able to get the, the – the play this year has been down a bit from his MVP year, but the, the the recipient of that was Devin DuVernay only having one catch for five yards. He did have two kick returns for 54 yards, and one of those, he looked like he was one guy away from breaking it again. he just he, He's looking like a legitimately very good NFL 
kick returner, and, and that's a, a great sight to see. But uh, he was also on, on I think, Jackson's deepest pass of the day, about 45 or 50 yards downfield. Um, looked, to, uh, looked like Duvernay lost track of the ball, couldn't find it. He was looking back. Ended up getting intercepted as it, it, the defender was behind him and it was overthrown from where he was. Um, Jackson later said, you know, we wanted to get him the ball and it, it was his fault. He, he could have thrown him a better ball. I don't know if you want Devin Duvernay on 100% of your, your jump balls. He's he's not. That's the other UT receiver, Colin Johnson, who you, you, you want in that situation. Uh, nonetheless, it was good to see him get targeted for that. Let's... Uh, Let's hope that the Ravens scheme him to get open. But he did make the tackle, so that's something. Only got 13 offensive snaps, however, and, and got two targets in that time. So they are looking to him. They just need to increase the man's role. Justin Tucker, however, continues to be a machine. Three for three on field goals, one for one on extra points. Did hit the field goal to send it into overtime. And then Deshaun, Deshaun Elliott's a sneaky uh, a sneaky pick for Longhorn of the Week. He had six tackles, um, but the most impressive play was he knocked out um, a man who is an approximation of basically modern day Earl Campbell, a man who looks like he 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 is a walking ent, Gerald, to go into your nerd world, just a tree that moves. Uh, Derek Henry, um, I, the only time I've seen someone go high and put him just straight down. Um, admittedly, he was coming off a hurdle, but uh, forced a fumble. But it looked like it was the ground that actually caused it. But uh, he laid a licking on him, and that to me. Deshaun Elliott is the heart of that Ravens defense right now, which is not what anyone necessarily thought at the beginning of the season. He's their enforcer, and you love to see it. Uh, my number one takeaway from this, Gerald, and this is a long way to get there. Now I'm rambling. Wherever Earl Campbell goes in free agency, I will be, or excuse me, Earl Thomas, now to get my Earl straight, in free agency as he's a free agent currently, I'm excited to see not only for what Earl can do, but because wherever he goes, he leaves a legacy of UT safeties behind him. Quandre Diggs currently uh, occupying his spot in Seattle and Deshaun Elliott uh, occupying his spot in Baltimore. So I want Earl to, to go to another team, play well, so that whenever he leaves, he can open up the spot for another Longhorn safety. I didn't see him coming in and being this good. I'll be really honest with you. Didn't see it. And especially, you know, replacing Earl Thomas, who's kind of a legend mm-hmm. um, in, in the he's, he's been one of the kind of the iron men of the NFL in the last probably decade. So the simple fact that he was able to not get turned into a lead blocker by Derrick Henry is a win because that happened to Earl Thomas and several other players were, he just kind of <laughs> that, like the, it's the best stiff arm I've seen in, in decades. So it's really just impressive. And, and Thomas actually gave Earl Thomas uh, a, or excuse me, Derrick Henry actually gave Earl Thomas a, uh, a a nasty one last year. So it was nice to see the tables turn for for a UT alum playing safety for the Ravens. Jared, last Tennessee Titans on the other end of that did get the W. Kenny Vaccaro had a DNP neck uh, injury. I think he should be back next week. However, uh, they, again, have a very strict one Longhorn at a time rule. So that meant Jeff Swaim got some play. He had one, one catch for nine yards, had the lead block on that. Henry walk-off TD I talked about in overtime. Uh, he was the the blocker who who he seemed to be following. Um, Foreman only had one carry for one yard, so we'll hope he gets more involved. Um, the uh, Colts, uh, Marcus Johnson, not a ton going on there. One catch uh, for 14 yards. They did get a victory, however. Um, Malik Jefferson for the Chargers, only one tackle. Gerald, um, Brandon Jones had two tackles, one for a loss. He seemed to be coming up well in in the run game for the Dolphins. What did you think of, of Dolphins' quick performance summation this week? 
Uh, they struggled to get the offense going early, and then they, they switched off from Tua. Uh, it looked like he had a weird injury, but but Flores said after the game that it wasn't an injury. He just made the – which is a weird thing to say about your rookie quarterback. is like, nope, we didn't pull him due to an injury. Like, don't you give that guy the injury out so he doesn't <laughs> feel bad about it. But uh, they're, they're, they're better than they should be, and I think they're probably a year ahead of schedule, which I'm okay with. Well, and the, the real problem there is the defense didn't score enough points. The, the last three weeks they've been beating people because the defense uh, yeah. led, led, of course, by Brandon Jones. But the defense in general just out there scoring points for those Dolphins. Um, but on the other side, Calvin Anderson uh, got a W uh, in his uh, second, I believe, NFL start. And P.J. Locke continued playing on special teams for the Denver Broncos. So I guess more Longhorns theory wins out. Uh, two beats one. Um, the Saints uh, did get a victory. Malcolm Roach was inactive this week. But Malcolm Brown did have one tackle, one QB hit. Um, the Cowboys, Cowboys and Vikings played. Connor Williams um, has been grading up, trending up from Pro Football Focus and others watching him the past three weeks. But I just want to quickly say this. He's the lightning rod for Dallas Cowboys fans. And I've said this many times in my life, I think on this podcast a few times. As a kid growing up in San Antonio, obviously I was a Cowboys fan. Um until I met Cowboys fans. I went to college and I met fans from Dallas and elsewhere and, and they're even worse. And I renounced my Cowboys fandom because of Cowboys fans obnoxiousness. The fact that people just rag Google, I mean, Twitter search Connor Williams, just the, the people who mention his name. And it is just uh, confounding how dumb it's like the Cowboys fans pick one or two guys every year to irrationally hate on some years. Okay. Guy sucks, shouldn't be playing. I don't think that counts for Connor Williams because the guy who just gets bashed and bashed and bashed week in about his performance and week out, graded uh, so far through the season as Pro Football Focus's 17th best guard. So again, not Pro Bowl, but certainly well above NFL average uh, caliber starter. So um, just leave all your... There are 64 starting guards in the NFL for your context. Correct. So uh, we're not math majors, but that's better than 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 okay. So um, above average, Connor Williams. Just leave all that Connor Williams hate and mess at the door. Don't bring it in here. Uh, on the other side of it, Holton Hill um, still basically seeing Chris Boyd take all his minutes as he's on the IR. Um, Boyd had four tackles and one pass breakup, but he was the lightning rod for the ire of Vikings fans. Um, and it may have been deserved this week, and I feel bad for him. There was a play where it was a, tr- a trick play, I guess. It was a fake punt, um, and I don't know if it was called or he was just waving so wildly because he was a gunner who was uncovered. Um, and believe it or not, Boyd actually caught the pass that was thrown to him on the fake punt that the punter uh, threw out to him, which, again, he doesn't catch very many. Um, but he never got set because he was so wildly waving his arm to show the punter that he was uncovered, that they... they illegal formation to him and negated the 23 yard catch they uh he followed it up on the next play they did actually punt with a a stupid block in the back um as the punting team um which gave the Cowboys short field they scored off of so fans were mad at him already and then on the last like go ahead drive uh on the goal line he I think made a good pass breakup, but again, I could see why fans of the team would say you should have picked it off. Again, they probably don't know that he can't catch. It's an anomaly that he caught that one. That would have been his first career INT, but just dropped it on the goal line and they scored the go ahead game winning touchdown two plays later. So Chris Boyd is not everyone's favorite after a great week last week where he was really, really good. Um, He has a chance for improvement. I'll say that. So we love you still Chris Boyd. No worries. Um, 
Jacksonville Jaguars took an L. That's probably because Colin Johnson only got 10 snaps and zero targets. Hate to see that. Uh, Trey Hopkins, uh, just looked it up, leads the Bengals in snaps per penalty. So that's a good stat, 181. Seems to really have that uh, that center spot locked down. However, his quarterback won't be Joe Burrow anymore this season. Burrow suffered kind of a gruesome injury against the Redskins, tore MCL, ACL, uh, LOL, everything you got in your knee. I think he uh, he tore it, the poor guy. So we're, we're, we're horns up for Joe Burrow. You don't want to see... Uh, even if he, he aggravated fans by dancing all over our defense in Austin. You don't want to see that for a kid who has a bright future. Um, for the Patriots, uh, they, they got a loss to the Texans, um, but it did look like uh, Adrian Phillips continues to be their best defender, led the team in tackles with seven, had a tackle for a loss and a pass breakup. So Adrian Phillips just might have a Pro Bowl season cooking for a very average or mediocre or, that's being generous, New England's Patriots defense. Um Again, a couple guys in the IR this week. We won't go into detail, but uh, a bye week for uh, Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers. Uh, we did have, however, the um, the Cardinals-Seahawks game that saw Jordan Hicks get six tackles, but the Seahawks come out with a dub looking good. I would say this was Quandre Diggs. He is my Longhorn pick of the week, by the way. Uh, Quandre Diggs is... Um, is the Longhorn of the week because, and not the stats that say one tackle, two pass breakups. What he did every other play, um, there was multiple big hits, highlight plays that you may have seen uh, either on ESPN or on Twitter or if you watched it live, um, but where a receiver got the ball and he put his shoulder pad and separated uh, the player from the ball. He covered well um, all over, took away seams post corners that Kyler Murray's been eating teams up with um, on the last drive of the game had a huge pass defense um just really looked like the best defender and pro football focus graded him out as such as by far the best player on the team um the highest graded player on the seahawks or the cardinals in that game was quandre um he was all over the place just looked utterly immense so again the two longhorn of the week candidates are like i joked about uh predecessors of earl thomas at seattle and baltimore this week but happy to see quandre who's been um another player who's received a lot of ire from seahawks fans who expected him to um you know have nine interceptions every year um and and i think maybe a little unrealistically but Mike Dixon, four punts, 44 yards average, one inside the 20, just does what he does. Um, and Puna Ford, five pressures against uh, an Arizona line that, by the way, this year Kyler Murray is doing good, but it's it's because his his line is ranked eighth overall by Pro Football Focus and third overall in efficiency, or third in efficiency. Um, and Puna was able to get five pressures against that line. So just looked, there's a couple times that, that little Kyler saw, you could call him little Puna, but I wouldn't. Um, a, a man. A man who, who who towered over a man called short who still towered over Kyler by about six inches um, <laughs> in the backfield one on one and Kyler wanted no part every time Puna was after him he just threw the ball out of bounds which again very smart business decision from from the, the the little sooner but I think Puna got the better of the matchup so kudos yet again to him and then finally on the Monday night football uh, matchup we had the. Uh, Rams uh, prevailing over Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. The most important stat there, of course, Malcolm Brown. Uh, three carries for 20 yards and one catch for eight yards. So a good day uh, for uh, Malcolm. Let's like to see him get a little bit more. A win is still good, but let's let's get him. He had two touchdowns last week. Let's let's get him at least one every week. Come on, that seems that seems average. That seems basic. 
My favorite stat from that game is Tom Brady was trash. That's my favorite <laughs> stat from that game. Uh, I'm a noted Tom Brady hater, and it's totally, totally fine. You're a Dolphins fan. Like, I get it. You're a Dolphins fan in the era of Tom Brady and the Patriots. So I, I, I totally get it. I am not a Dolphins fan. I'm not a fan of any team in that specific division. The Ravens, of course, they're in the conference. But uh, I also hate Tom Brady. So this is a noted Tom Brady hating podcast. All right, so let's uh, let's hop it into our last segment here, Gerald. Close it out strong. We're going to talk about what we're watching on our giant screens. We call this section the Godzilla Tron. Gerald, what are you watching? Uh, so I started to watch uh, Titans on HBO Max, and it just did not do it for me. I got I like two thirds of the way through the first episode. It's kind of supposed to be like a like a mature version of like the the Teen Titans, the DC superhero team. That's like all the the sidekicks basically team ups. Um, but it felt mature. It felt air quotes mature in the way that like in junior high, you go to the mall and cuss too loud because you want to be feel older than you are. Uh, so I didn't continue to watch that because it didn't really do anything for me. Uh, the, they rebooted the Animaniacs cartoon from when you and I were children, Kyle. And so that's on Hulu. And I watched an episode of that. And it was it made me feel like a kid again for a couple minutes, which was super nice. But what I really want to talk about here is some Bond films are showing up on Netflix. And GoldenEye was the first one that I decided to watch. I have fond memories of GoldenEye. When I was coming up, the movie was just absolutely incredible. And then, again, anybody of our age group has probably thousands of hours of memories of playing the video game. Um, That is a movie that does not age well in about two different ways. (laughs) Um, Maybe three. Like the computers in that, like what hacking is in that movie is, does not age very well. Um, there are a lot of British actors playing bad Russian accents. And I'm just going to go ahead and say it. The, the misogyny of the old James Bond movies does not play in any way, shape or form. Like there was a scene in which and this was like, I tweeted about this as it happened. Cause it was so like, it was so shocking to me. was that so like, this Pierce Brosnan and, and, and Monty Penny was, were on an elevator and he's making all these like rapid fire innuendo at her. And she stops him and says, James, that's sexual harassment. And he says, oh, and what's the punishment for sexual harassment? And her response is, you have to make good on all of your innuendo. I was just flabbergasted. Like what a guy like that doesn't age well. Like that shouldn't have been appropriate then. It's definitely not appropriate ever. Right. Like it's just absolutely ridiculous. But um, it's it's does not age well, so I, I watched it because I'm just I was like cranking away at some housework. It's like whatever, we'll just keep it running. Uh, but I quickly switched over to the Daniel Craig movies, which I feel like had at least the the uh, askew a lot of the weird, gross misogyny that happens in those films. Let's just retire the movie. Um, I mean, that's just locker room talk, Gerald, but let's just retire the movie um, entirely uh, for the accents, for the the hacking. We know how Russians hack. It's way better than that. Um, let's just retire that movie and, and exclusively only refer to GoldenEye as the game, um, and specifically if you're hardcore and elite like Gerald and I, you'll play odd job slappers only. Um, GoldenEye. So, uh, so yeah, you know, again, for you millennials, if we're making references that you don't get, I'm not even sorry about it. Okay, I started with one. I'm I'm finishing with one. Just catch up. My wife shared a TikTok where um, it's someone on on TikTok said, "For you older members of TikTok who were born in the late '90s or early 2000s, which means they think people who are 20 years old are older," and I've never been so angry. Like. <laughs> 
you little i get it now i get why adults hate these petulant little kids i can't believe it uh for the youth who listen to this you know they don't this is way too long they probably have 10 second snippets of it on tiktok please pick the good ones um just just know uh that 30 is not old guys it's it's the prime of your life it only gets better from there uh you know the the the, the wisdom and luxury of youth is, is wasted on the uh, good credit and insurance it's great yeah, the wisdom of youth is wasted on the young, as they say. Anyway, so what did I watch this week? Speaking of young prodigies, I mentioned it last week, but I finished it since uh, the Queen's Game. It was good. It was very solid. I, I mean, uh, most people say five stars, five stars, five stars. My wife says two, to be slightly contrary, and I think I'd give it somewhere in the four uh, to four and a half stars range. It was quite good. The wallpaper was phenomenal. Uh, she had great outfits. She was a prodigy. She was like, she does a lot of acting just with her eyes walking into the room. Some of it was a bit exaggerated after about five or six episodes of it, um, but very good. Interesting. Made a lot of people want to play chess. I've never been a chess player. I regret that as a human. I make me kind of want to learn it, but I feel like I'm, if there's women like her out there or men or any human out there who are that good at that young, my, again, I'm old. My ship is, is clearly sailed, but it's good. Check it out. Queen's Gambit on Netflix. Some are saying it might end up being one of Netflix's all time, most popular shows. Um, they don't release their metrics of course, but, uh, it has been widely word of mouth about over the past month. The other thing that, um, we started watching on the recommendation of a few people and it's been on the list for a while, but finally got to it was Broadchurch. Um, and I finished the first season, I believe there's three, um, and it was good. It was quite good. Um, I love BBC and British procedural, you know, uh, whodunit crime thriller dramas. And I think it holds up very well in that pantheon. Obviously, I think I talked about this podcast during the pandemic. I watched Sherlock. Um, I watched the last season of Luther during this pandemic. Um, and uh, I still put Luther at the top of my British cop ranking list but i'll say Broadchurch through the first season was was pretty solid um it definitely is a good story and dives into the ripples into a small community um when something tragic happens and they do a great job of just misleading you a hundred different directions uh on what could have been and who could have been the done it um but uh it is a, a kind of satisfying oh didn't see that coming uh resolution when it all wraps up in the last episode so i again haven't seen the whole series but for the first season of Broadchurch, uh i'm liking it so far quite a bit that is one that's been like on the I need to watch list for I don't know probably four years now. When did yep. it come out? Twenty thirteen was the yeah, first season. Around. So like because I love David Tennant. David Tennant's so stinking good. Um, Jodie Whittaker, who's also in that, is also really really good. To to the doctors from Doctor Who in that show. So uh, good. I the BBC dramas are always always real real good. But that's all we've got for you this week, Kyle. Where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Shoot us an email, longhornerpublicpod at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook where we do our post game live stream. We'll have something for you this Saturday. It's an or this Friday. We'll have something for you this Friday after the game. If you're not Black Friday shopping, uh, Come and hang out with us. I guarantee you one of my children will burst in because, well, probably I know which one, the one that can walk. Um, So uh, you can catch us there. And again, this is your last reminder. If you have not entered to win your signed copy of Let the World See You, go to our Twitter. Like that tweet. Retweet that tweet. Make sure you're following. Go to Facebook. Share the Facebook post. Follow us on Facebook. Do all those things to get your maximum number of entries to our 
giveaway. Happy Thanksgiving to all of our listeners, and happy Thanksgiving to you, Gerald. Thank you, Kyle. Happy Thanksgiving to you as well. We're staying at home, just doing the four of us. My wife is cooking way too much food, especially given the fact that 25% of my family does not have teeth yet. That's what <laughs> we've got for you this week. Kyle, thank you so much for tuning in again this week. We will see you on Friday for our post-game live stream. And until then, hook them. Hook them. Hook them.